So good morning, everybody. Everybody is having a happy new year. Uh, over my 20 years of priest, I've done a lot of work with religious sisters and have come to know a fair bit about them. Uh, a couple of things, though, come to mind. First of all, I guess maybe because religious sisters don't watch a lot of television, they like to put on skits. Love to have the little skits and plays. The other thing, which might surprise a lot of people, that sisters tend to be pretty funny, pretty creative, and pretty witty. And so I recently heard a story of a, a skit that some religious sisters put on in order to celebrate the solemnity of the Epiphany. And what they did is sort of acted as the three wise men and played all the different parts. But three wise men, instead of going to see the Christ child, the baby Jesus, they were going to a gender reveal party, imagining that Jesus and Mary were doing what a lot of couples today like to do. Now, it's funny, but as I reflected on it, there's sort of a deeper truth there, though, in this idea of our gender reveal parties, that there is a certain amount of revelation. We are revealing something to others. And that's what we're basically celebrating today at the Epiphany. It is the revelation of Christ, the revelation of the Messiah to the Gentiles, to those who are unbelievers. But as I was preparing for the homily today and reflecting on it, realize how in this revelation of the Messiah, God revealed himself as a child. Indeed, that's what we celebrate at Christmas. But God, in revealing himself as a child, revealed himself in and with a body. The body as the locus of revelation of God's divinity in Christ. Not just a body, but as we'll see, a male body. One that has the male chromosomes revealing who the Lord is. Now this is the principle of the incarnation that God became man, and in doing so, in taking on humanity, becoming truly man and having a body, he made or reaffirmed the fact that the body is good, that the human body, that creation is a good thing, and also has meaning. It conveys a deeper meaning of who God is, and it has a meaning inherent in itself. There's a, a purpose to the body. It's not just a, a bunch of cells put together. It's not just a mass of biological realities. There is a deeper meaning to the body. And this is the whole basis of John Paul II's very famous theology of the body, that the human body reveals God. And so as I continue to sort of reflect on this, I've been a little philosophical lately since I've returned, an idea came to me, and something that I studied before and I hadn't really refi reflected on much lately, is in reflecting on the body and the meaning of the body, there's a certain reality that we all have to face of what I'm going to call the givenness of the body. I'm not saying or not talking about the fact that we are created for gift, but the fact of the matter is the body is given to you. You are your body. It's not an object that you can dispose of. It's not a ghost body. Our body is ours. We are our bodies, and we can't discard it. 
Now, Shrana, there are certain secondary things we can do. We can change our hair color. We can have a little nip and tuck here and there. But the fact of the matter is, your body determines who you are. And genetics determines, to a great degree, what your body is and who you'll be. Your eye color, your predisposition to certain illnesses, and whether or not you're going to be very athletic or have the potential for it, and also your biological sex, which is written into your very genes. And so, as humans, we have a, a responsibility, a duty, to come to accept our bodies as given, as given realities, not as a burden, not as something that we have to endure, but instead as a gift that is given to us, a, a true good, the givenness of the body. The problem is, though, in our world today, for many secular thinkers, and also for some Christians and Catholics, the body has become a scandal. A scandal, in the, the Greek term, the skandalon, it means it is a stumbling block. People have a hard time accepting the reality of the body, their body and the body in general. And this is an ancient issue going back to the earliest days of the church, of Gnosticism and whatnot. But today, the root of the problem is a little different. Why do people tend to struggle with accepting the givenness of the body or the reality of the body? Because that means that our freedom is restricted. If our body is given to us, if there are certain limits imposed to the body, if there is a meaning in the body, it's going to restrict our freedom, particularly in the area of human sexuality. Even more, when we understand not just the physical limitations of the body, but as I said, the fact that we as Christians and Catholics believe the body has a meaning, has a purpose, a language that it speaks. If that's the case, if there is a body and there is what we call a nature, then guess what? Freedom is restricted. But for those individuals who see freedom as autonomy, to do what I want, when I want, how I want, and where I want, then guess what? Any type of restriction, physical or metaphysical, is seen as something that is oppressive and must be removed so that we can do what we want when we want. And this is sort of represented in what is called our response of the subjective shift. Talk about this a lot when I talk about morality or, or philosophy, is that for many, many centuries, and for a lot of people, we can look at reality, the reality of the body, the reality of the world, as a given, as an objective truth that exists outside of ourselves. That's what it means to be objective. It's something that exists in reality. And that's always been the most important. And for Christians and Catholics, the givenness of the body, the objective reality of the truth of the body is something that is foundational. But what we've seen over the course of the past several centuries is instead it's not what objective is the most important, but what's subjective. What I feel interiorly, what I choose to believe, what I choose to see as my paradigm for understanding the world. That this determines reality. Instead of the body and reality revealing itself to us, as we see in the Epiphany, we impose our own subjective belief on reality. 
and on the body. This is the root of moral relativism, where what I believe is true is true, that there's no objective reality, but it's also the root of what we call gender theory or gender ideology. Oh, indeed, there can be certain social constructs. What matters is not your physical, biological sex, but what matters is what you feel that you are. Your interior disposition trumps reality. And so I think that this becomes the main area, of what we're talking about, of concern and conflict in the world today as we discuss the reality of sexuality and the body. Because the truth is, for us as Christians, not only is the body a given, but sexual difference, being male and female, is an essential component of givenness. You are male and female because it is written into your very genetic code. Now granted, there are certain abnormalities where we have intersex people, we understand that. Doesn't mean they have any less dignity, but the fact of the matter is there are XX and XY. You can't change that. You can change your exterior appearance where you may appear as a member of the opposite sex. You may feel that you're a member of the opposite sex, but the fact of the matter is the body is there. And so when we understand this reality of sexual difference, it's there, why? On a biological level, because we need to have sexual difference in order to have procreation. On a philosophical level, sexual difference becomes important because it reminds us that no one is a totality in themselves. That there is always another way of being a body. Always another way of being a person that we don't encompass all of reality in ourselves, either as male or female, but most importantly, theological. The image of God, where our body reveals the image of God, and John Paul II was very big on talking about how masculinity and femininity are integrated into the theology of the body, into the image of God, and that we're really the image of God when we exist in communion, because we image the reality of God who is a trinity of persons. But also throughout scripture, we see the spousal analogy that bride and bridegroom, male and female, are used to describe the love God has for his people or Christ has for his church. And so it's foundational for our understanding of the sacrament of marriage. The man being in the image of Christ, the woman being image of the church, and their union, a revelation, a visible sign of an invisible reality of the love Christ has for his church. But here's something else that I've talked about in years past. If the body is revelatory, if it has a theological meaning, then Jesus' body does too. It wasn't some accident or coincidence or a flip of the coin, something arbitrary, that led God the Son to become man in a male body. That male body has a significance in that it reveals to us the fatherhood of God, where we can experience and see that. There's no doubt, and trust me, I've worked with a number of people, that there are individuals who do experience confusion. Their body is one thing, but they deep down feel, for whatever reason, that they are subjectively another gender. And the fact is, the problem becomes, from a Christian perspective, is that we allow the subjective experience to trump the reality of the body instead of the other way around. 
where we need to work to conform our own interior experience to reality in the givenness of the body. But the truth is, too, if the body has meaning, if there's something written into it, if there's indeed a theology of the body, then it also means that there is a morality that flows from it. If it has a meaning, we have an obligation, a serious obligation, to act in accord with the given meaning of the body. And so Christian sexual ethics isn't something just there to oppress us. It's not there a, a group of rules made by a bunch of celibate men. Instead, it flows from everything I've just talked about. It flows from our sacramental understanding of the world and our view of the body as being a sign of a deeper spiritual reality. And so here's the key. If we truly believe all that I've just talked about, the dignity of the body, the meaning of sexual difference, the revelation of God in the body, then it's going to have to impact our understanding of certain teachings, particularly ones that are controversial. Contraception, acts that contradict the meaning of sexual difference and gender ideology. As a Christian and a Catholic, it is impossible to hold a secular view of sexuality and the body without discarding everything I've just talked about. Because if you do, then all of this doesn't make sense. And in fact, the, the, the very reality of the spousal analogy that the God has used to reveal his love to his people is something that is nothing more than a social construct. It doesn't have bearing or weight in our lives. Now this is of course the issue and we can get into all kinds of debates about the sixth commandment but the more fundamental theological and philosophical issues I've talked about about whether it's possible for the body to reveal something whether there is a meaning beyond our own subjective experience this is what needs to be discussed but the truth is nobody really wants to talk about that and so, as a result, it ends up being two ships passing in the night. But what I've just expressed to you is the teaching of the church. It's difficult to understand. It can be very difficult to accept. Because what happens is, we tend to be very merciful people. And we see individuals who struggle with chastity, with their sexuality, with their understanding of their body and how they ought to act and we care for them. But we can't just say, on one extent, hey, this is the church teaching, obey. Nor can we say, oh, I have compassion on you, you can just ignore all of that. Instead, I think Pope Francis gives us the path that we need to move forward. While we believe the teaching, and we know it's there, what we have to do in order to convince people is be willing to accompany them along the way not beating over the head with the teaching or as they did before, discarding the teaching, saying, I understand you're going through a lot of stuff. Let's talk about it. Let's go have a cup of coffee. Let's work together. It's the pastoral approach that leads people to open their minds and hearts to accept the truth. Very non-judgmental, but one that has a purpose that is grounded in the truths we talked about today. And so in conclusion, I want to ask or encourage us to make a prayer a little reflection going back to the Feast of Epiphany. God revealing himself 
and the body of the Christ child to the Magi. For us, A, to be the wise men, to be like the wise men and allow reality, allow creation, allow our bodies to reveal the truth to us. Discarding all of our prejudices, discarding all of our ignorance and our own ideas, but allow reality to reveal itself to us. Allow the body to reveal itself to us in its deeper meaning. And second, to pray for unbelievers, those who are not Christian or Catholic, like the Magi, that they may have the openness, as the Magi did, to the truth wherever it can be found. That we, too, in our own bodies, and living out the belief of the church revealed to us that we, through our actions and our lives, may speak to their heads and to their hearts and lead them deeper to the truth of who the Lord Jesus Christ is, born for us at Christmas in a body as a man. Amen.